Welcome to the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast. Thought-provoking interviews with interesting guests and commentary on everything. Food, sports, God, gardening, church, politics, music, movies, comedy, you name it, we talk about it. I'm Cody Stopper. And this is Craig Morton. On this podcast, we talk to writers, teachers, activists, and we seek some wisdom. And as always, we are allergic to big words, but not to big ideas. Profound things will be said, but entirely by accident. happens if i don't say yes i wonder if it just records me talking to no one like a one-sided phone conversation it might actually your only options are got it like okay got it right or leave meeting so oh so you're in or you're out like no either get recorded buddy or you're ending this thing oh so did you click okay Hey, I'm still here. So, oh, you're still here. Oh, hey, this is Craig. Hi, Craig. I, this person here speaking, is the fa- fine, fabulous, fantastic fellow phenom. Oh, uh, that doesn't work. Yeah, Cody Stoffer. So. You could you could turn your um, your last name into Pig Latin, then it starts with an F, doesn't it? Yeah, right. Because you take the wait no, because you go you to take the, the A. Oh, you that would yeah yeah. Offer stay, offer yeah. stay. Yeah, no, not quite. Anyway, <laughs> hey, this is the F episode. F. Yeah, F and it's not all. it's not the F that you might be thinking. It's just oh. <laughs> other good Fs. Food. Fun, fall, football, uh, freedom, uh, fear. freedom, fair. Oh, that's Felix. not a good. At, well, Felix, yeah, I will, I will hear what that one's going to be about because I, uh, some people don't hear Felix and automatically think of what we're going to talk about. I don't think. I don't know. What do people think of when they hear the name or the word Felix? <laughs> Maybe Felix the cat. That's what I'm wondering about. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even know if anybody ever even knew about Felix the cat anymore. Really? How did you know about Felix the cat? I, I don't know. It's just a part of uh, outdated pop culture, which is my specialty. So <laughs> outdated pop culture. Fading, yeah. Cause I, re- I remember when I was a kid, there was a, like there was a commercial with a weird cat. I mean, not commercial TV show. And it was, wasn't too impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? Wait again. Now I remind me who Felix was. Felix was the. <laughs> Which one was Felix the cat? He was a little black and white cat. Yes. Okay. That's what I. Yeah. Just, I, okay. yeah. And, the, yeah, yeah, and yeah. the cartoons were even black and white. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how outdated they were. So I. I. um. But no, that's not the Felix we're talking about. No, no. no Should we just nah. go ahead and start talking about Felix since we're talking about Felix? Yeah, we're not talking it. about we're not talking about Felix the cat, but we are talking about somebody who 
in some ways is a cat as opposed to a dog. <laughs> okay. I don't know. So you may not know this, but, but, but uh, track and field athletes are, are classified into two general categories, cats and dogs. I did not know that. Yeah. So if a, if a, out, out in the, the wild, a yeah. bunch of dogs run together, you know, and they, they form a pack and then they, you know, get the prey, they attack the prey okay. and they will follow uh, the prey for miles. Oh, those are the long like distance. Greyhound, like a greyhound race or like a bunch of, like a wolf pack. Actually, yeah, but the way the way uh, long distance runners run, uh, whether it be 800, 1600, whatever, they, they sometimes form a pack. They, they right. have team strategies they, and okay. they just keep going way too long. Uh, Draft each other. Was, sprinters. I mean, so you get a you get a cheetah out in the wild and wants to go eat mm -hmm. some kind of you know antelope or something. Yes. It'll run super hard, super fast. But. After a while, it goes, oh, this is too hard. I'm giving up. No, I'm done. I yeah. give up. And so you they're like, okay, short burst of energy. And if it doesn't pay mm -hmm. off, well, I, that, that was good enough. And so those are sprinters. Sprinters are the cats. Okay. Long distance are now, the dogs. Now I'm getting it. Yeah. So, yes, Alice and Felix is who we're talking about. And, and I think who? we mentioned her before during the summer when we we're talking about the Olympics. But this is kind yes. of post-Olympic thing. Yeah. Um, but, but, again, she is... Um, you know, not, I think it's going to take incredible. a while to dethrone uh, Usain Bolt as well, you know, yeah. people think of like top sprint athletes. Right. But I really think he needs to like hand over the crown to uh, Allison Felix. She's the goat. She's well, yeah. How many medals does she have? Uh, what, I, it, she has she has the most of any track and field athlete in the United States. That's right. She's yeah. incredible. But yeah, see, I, don't know. Okay, I think it's I think it's 11. Um, doesn't she isn't she a mix of short and medium length well races? she her 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 top her top uh her longest race is 400 meters oh. Oh, okay okay yeah and so i'm and i'm sure she could run a fast 800 if you know somebody asked her to right um she's most known for hurdles correct nope nope just nope. the open four open four oh. and she was also open four four by four also 200 meters. Right. She's, just, okay. she's just a sprinter, not just okay. a sprinter. But okay. re the reason I'm thinking about Allison Felix is one of the things that happened to Allison Felix is while she was uh, expecting her first child, she got into conflicts with Nike and the way Nike was wanting to work with her given the needs of her pregnancy and, and, and all that. And most all these athletes at this level are professional athletes. They are working for Nike, Reebok, Adidas, whoever, whoever it is that's sponsoring their, their team. Right. And she was frustrated with Nike. And so she ended up developing her own team and supporting herself professionally. But one of the things that she developed was also getting out of the Nike shoes. So yeah. you know, when, you, when you're a team athlete, you know, uh, you know, you end up wearing the shoes of whoever's sponsoring you. If you're an Adidas okay. athlete, you're wearing Adidas. If you're right. a Puma athlete, you're wearing Puma. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she had always, she'd been a Nike athlete. She was wearing Nike. She needed new shoes. And she went on and discovered, I guess, with her own research, that there really weren't any shoes that were designed with women in mind. And, and I never really thought about that. That's one of the things we, we get. We don't have to think about as guys. Yeah. 
Um, and so I what happened with the shoes? So they were basically men's shoes made smaller for women. Uh, okay. okay. And, and so she went through um, the development process of creating her own shoes. And so Seish shoes are the shoes from Alice and Felix. And to me, that's the exciting thing is that she's okay. gone um, along with this whole track and field thing and moved it to another level to really to empower women, to inspire women, to do what they want to do, but to not do it as, oh, you can do what uh, men have done in just a different way. Just go do a different thing. Yeah. So women, women's work, women's work, women's professions, careers don't have to be what the guys did, just a smaller version, you know, just yeah kind of trailblaze and start something new. And I thought that was pretty exciting. Yeah, no kidding. And, and so, so she, so her Seish company, uh, the exciting thing is Carla got some Seish, Seish shoes. Oh, nice. And so um, they don't fit her because the choices um, <laughs> weren't in her size. So we, she was able to give them away to our daughter. So that okay. was, that was good. So. How does she like so them? the Seish shoes are are working. So Allison okay. Felix shoes. If you need running shoes or just knocking around shoes, go to Seish shoes. S a y s h, I believe it is. S a y s h. Okay. Yeah, go get some shoes. You know that would be a wonderful gift for Lisa. Ah. Yeah. Okay. So they make uh, uh, more than just like for track and type shoes. Well, right. I mean, I think there's, there, it's a limited line right now. Sure. Sounds like but, it. But <laughs> um, it's a great place to start. In, in fact, yeah, if there going. were just spikes, it would be great for her to have a, a, a pair of racing spikes on those icy mornings when she doesn't want to slide on her way to the car. Just yeah. dig in. Yeah. Don't. So that's my off. F. That's my first F. I like is Felix. I like it. Can I ask... Uh, what was the hangup with Nike and the, the pregnant? What was like, they didn't want to, uh, they're like, okay, while you're pregnant, we aren't sponsoring or you're not, you're limited in engagements or what? I think it had to do with li um, limiting the racing that was going to be taking place. And also it had to do with the, uh, the parental leave following the birth of the, of their child okay. of their daughter. Oh, so maybe they and, wanted to cut and, either no, you're not making appearances, so no money for you, or yeah, I think it was along those lines, you know. Um oh, geez. but but her 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 sense was this is way too limiting for somebody who wants to be a a working mother. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, Here's my other question for you. So if so you she's you know if an individual athlete sponsored by a shoe company, you say like Adidas, so they wear Adidas, but what if they're like part of like team USA who sponsors team USA? And then what do they wear then? Yeah, that, that is an issue. And I try okay. and remember, I think she was wearing say sh shoes in the Olympics. I think okay, she was wearing cool. her own shoes, so you can um, but for the most part, go. you ended up wearing whatever the sponsors are. Okay. Cause you're wearing yeah, the team like uniform of, USA, right. not the team uniform of, you know, Nike athlete athletes. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause I, in, you know, like, uh, the NFL, for example, or even the NBA, each yeah. athlete might be a spokesman for a brand, but as part of their deal being in the NBA, they then have to, um, cover up the logos when they're on. Yeah. You know, I never like saw Steph Curry wearing Steph Curry's out on the court. Right. 
stuff like that. <laughs> I don't think I've ever yeah. seen anybody wearing Steph Curry's in public. <laughs> well, ouch. <laughs> well, you know. Um, all right. Good F. Good F to start with. I like it. Allison Felix, one of my favorites to learn about and know about. Yeah. Um, and she's also kind of groundbreaking in other ways, right? Because wasn't she like one of the oldest gold winners this Olymp, you know, like Yeah, yeah. I mean, doesn't doesn't it make you feel um I know doesn't right. it's it's a strange perspective on age. I mean I you just turned old not too long ago. I've been old for a while. And she is a whole lot younger than either one of us, and she's right. old. Old in so the she, realm of a 35-year-old Olympic athlete, uh, right. Olympic medalist. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty outstanding. Then, right. I wonder what the youngest competitor was in her uh, events, you know, that she would have been. Well, that'd be interesting. Yeah. What's, 18, what's 18? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. 17, 18. Yeah. Oh, well, the, wow. the, the, the one that's interesting was uh, would have been four years ago would have been um, Sydney McLaughlin was 17 racing against uh, Delilah Muhammad, who was 28 at the time, mm. you know, and, and uh, in the same event. I mean, that's that's a huge um, age spread. And now uh, yeah. uh, Allison Felix's training partner is 21 year old. Uh, uh, Sydney McLaughlin. So, wow, that's cool. I mean, that's that's a that's a cool partnership to have. That is very cool. Right on. Good F. Okay, what's the next one? Well, what do you want to? What what F do you want? Oh, let's talk about what are, what are our options again. Okay, what were you wanting to uh, address with uh, freedom and fear and all that? Oh, you do you, you want you want you want to hear some freedom and fear? Yeah. All right. I mean, I have thoughts that instantly pop into mind, but they have a lot to do with where we are right now with everything. And, yeah, this know. is this is a lot more um, happy than that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't I don't know if you've ever uh, I I just recently discovered this band and I feel so like I was out. I oh, was just sleigh bells. You just no, this is another discovered one. Them? Oh, okay, no, okay, okay. I've known sleigh bells for a while, but do you know okay. the new respects? No. Let me make uh, tell me, can you hear this okay? Sound coming across? So that was a little clip of freedom. And have, yeah. were you, do you know, have you known about them? No, no. And um, also, I mean, that video is from 2018 and it only yeah. has, I mean, not only, but I mean, you know, a hundred only has 114,000 views. So kind of under the radar. 
Yeah. And so they're, they're touring right now with Switchfoot. Awesome. This and I saw amazing. them on a Switchfoot um, uh, up, you know, thing on Instagram. And I went, who, who are these people? Yeah. And I love the style. Um, yeah. It makes me think that it reminds me of a mix of R&B. I mean, if you listen to more of the music, it's definitely an R&B influence. Okay. Yeah, with a little bit of in, lo- in Living Color, which is that okay. R&B mixed with like, you know, rock guitar. And it's like, okay, that's, yeah. I like that. That was, that was a fun piece. So yeah. that's the freedom. That's a, that's a great okay. song. So I love it. Yeah. That clip was amazing. No, so do you want to hear, do you want to hear about heard. fear? Yes. Let's okay. They have another one called fear. No, no, this is somebody else. So, <laughs> um, okay. so a couple of weeks ago, I was listening to the new sleigh bells uh, um, album. Yeah. And I've, I've been a sleigh bells fan for a while. I really like, that kind of staccato rhythm they do and the blast of guitar, heavy, crunchy sounds. Love it. Um, really percussive. Yes. And, and uh, interesting subject matters that I'm not really even sure what, what they're always talking about. <laughs> right. Uh, but there was an interview in, I think it was Paste Magazine uh, last week, and they were talking about a variety of the songs on the album, but they were talking about one in particular, and it's uh, called Rosary. It's about praying the rosary. Okay. Oh, um, and play a little clip of that, and then I'll talk about the thing that caught my attention in the interview. Okay. So I, first of all, it's like, wait, they're talking about religious themes and spiritual stuff. It's like, that's not normal, you know, (laughs) for, for, for them, but it's like, what's going on here. And the interview with Pace magazine kind of was asking the same question. And, um, do I hear a dog panting? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And, and there's a, there's a, the, the first lyric of the song is, uh, I might believe in God, but I do believe in fear. Mm. And it's almost that oh. sense of, you know, prayer, you know, that, that, what is it called? Foxhole. Yeah, that's right. Faith or whatever, you know, no one's an atheist in a foxhole. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yep. it's the pervasive sense of fear uh, that I really believe in, you know, that, that I, that I, I can relate to. I might believe right. in God. It seems like a kind of agnostic abstract concept. Right. But seems real and and explaining this rosary ripping a rosary between their teeth it's almost like i think they said something like yeah like you're going down in an airplane you're like going to eat that rosary you're just going to put it in your mouth (laughs) just consume it 
but it made me it, it just made me think about contemporary issues whether it be pandemics yeah. whether it be uh you know white supremacy um you know prevalent uh, racism fear of economic collapse you know there's just fear seems so real oh yeah and it's driving you know so why when you brought up fear it made me think about what's you know now the talking points on one side are always like why are you living in fear why are you living in fear and yet if you stop and listen to them their whole thing is also driven you know by fear i mean you could say the same thing you, your fear is just in something else you know government control or exactly uh, yeah or, or evil cabal behind everything or you know so yeah it's and it's amazing how how many how many dialogue how much of that dialogue is controlled by fear on both sides oh, right I mean, exactly there, there's things that i am fearful of but do i mm-hmm. Am I, if I'm not aware of them, are they manipulating and controlling my choices? Right, right. Um, so, yeah, okay, that's yeah. Is it better to be aware of the, you know, and then and thus be afraid or be unaware and be controlled, I guess, or manipulated? Yeah, yeah, hmm. interesting. Yeah, so interesting those, 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 those are two more F's. <laughs> I love it. Good music too. Good selection. I love sleigh bells. So yeah. good. So good. I love the uh, um, juxtaposition of the voice with uh, the music. It's amazing. I love it. Uh, it's, I, I, I discovered their stuff years ago, and I can't remember. There, it's, there's some song. The lyric has to do with a tornado hitting Kansas. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Never go what it is. It's like, oh, I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that. And that kind of hooked me with your that. music. That's cool. Yeah, they're good. So fun. So fun. Uh, nice. Okay. Uh, yeah, another option of uh, discussion. We mentioned uh, fantasy football before. Yes. So I am in years. I've, I've been doing fantasy football for oof, 20, 23 years, something like that. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was just, you know, Yahoo has always been one of them that's been involved in it, Yahoo Fantasy Football. So I've been with that basically for 23 years. So I wasn't there during the time before online, you know, because they used to call it rotisserie, rotisserie baseball. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's how it got started. Any fantasy sports at all got started. And I don't know why rotisserie, what the name has, what that has to do anything. Maybe it was a company that, that started something, but anyway, it was all pen and paper and uh, it was as baseball has often been privy to, you know, analytics, people right. doing stat keeping and all that. And so it was, it was tailor-made for fantasy sports, right. you know, because all these different things can be turned into points and all that. So that's how it started. You know, fantasy anything was with baseball and whatever rotisserie. I'm not sure. I have to look into the history of that, why they called it rotisserie baseball, but that's what it was. So here's a, here's a, side, here's a side note or a parenthetical comment here. So, yeah. so baseball, yeah, definitely is linked with analytics, tons of different kinds of stats. And, yep. and in the last, even in the last five years, well, maybe 10 years, there's new stats to add to the old stats. Yep. I mean, I remember 
20 years ago, nobody talked about, you know, or very rarely did they analyze on-base percentage right. or slugging percentages. But that 10 yep. years ago, that was, those were huge. Yes. You know, and then, you know, it just keeps on uh, defining new combinations mm-hmm. of things. And they keep Has football down done more. the same thing? They do um, on certain things. So, okay. yeah, they use analytics and metrics for types of plays. And you'll see it. Actually, this year, I've really noticed it. So, like, for the last three years, there's been a ton of discussion about metrics and analytics around when to go for certain things, when to do certain things and that. Um, and so in the world of like college football and especially high school football, there have been coaches who are pioneers in the like, we know, especially in high school football, um, we can convert fourth downs this percentage of times, but on the field, the other team taking over at this position, they will score this percentage of time from this. That's spot. right. That's right. So, so <laughs> the risk reward there, ratio. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was, there was a, I think it was like an accounting firm yeah. a couple of years ago did statistical analysis on, on uh, fourth down conversions versus punts. Yep. And the team that regularly punted on fourth, uh, on fourth down lost games. That's right. Yep. Those that almost never punted won. Yeah, that's right. And then onside kicking and uh-huh. Uh, going for two rather than one. So anyway, this year in the NFL, it's actually, uh, if you've watched the last few weeks, the the rate of people going for it on fourth down has like boomed. It's like hugely really? increased just this year alone. Yep. So that's where it's kind of shown up is in that type of thing. But they also do it for um, specific athletes based off of their their measurables more and more. So we know this guy, he's not very good at all this other stuff. Well, you know what he's amazing at? He can, and I mean, this has always been kind of round. We know this guy can jump through the roof. Let's throw it up to him. But right. I mean, now they know, like, when this person is on him from this team, he has this percentage of wingspan reach, you know, over him. Right. He has this much vertical over him. And so they, they'll tailor make just for this play based off of these analytics. So they'll have a guy on the sideline who's like, we got to do this right now with this. So that's, that's like a really good catcher telling the pitcher, this batter, you know, go, go to his left, go, go, go down and out or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yep. Or like the, or, or like the shift in baseball. It'd be yeah. Like just like yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. So it's very interesting. And, and there are uh, players who've been around, like, okay, I'm thinking of a guy named Cordero Patterson. He's been in the league for eight years. When he first got in here, he was very much hyped. But the reason why he was hyped was really because he, in college, they, I don't know if they knew how they did it or what, but they tailor-made, you know, for him and his giftedness. Then when he came in the NFL, they are like, he's kind of a bust because all he can do is return kicks really well and punt returns really well. That's about it. But this year, eighth year in, the Falcons converted him to a running back, and uh, but he can still catch like a, a wide receiver in certain settings, you know, certain routes. And the, he's like a – there's always been a Swiss Army knife type of player. Right. But, I mean, because of an analysis of his abilities, Falcons this year are like, 
here's exactly how we're going to use them. We're only going to use them 12 times, but those 12 times are amazing. You know, so and, is, and, is he one of your, your players on your, uh, your fantasy team? I, I have him on one of my fantasy teams. I have, I have like five fantasy teams. So yes, I picked him up. And uh, it also is kind of a, in his case, not just an analysis thing. I mean, I think they were always going to use him that way, but it's also a needs-based thing. They don't have a lot of great options at running back. So they're like, okay, well, we know this guy's great in these scenarios as a running, you know, running the ball. So we'll use him in those situations where, Normally we'd bring in a running back and we'd use them, you know, all the time. Right. Yeah. Let's use this guy for these 12 types of running plays that we, you know, use. So on a Sunday, how many football games do you watch? Oh, almost none. Oh, really? Really? <laughs> yeah. Cause I, oh, I have two Sunday services, you know, that I do. That's and true. Uh, so what, I, so I shouldn't say almost none. Cause I, I catch the Sunday night game. Right. Right. Which of is for, for out here in, on the West, that's, that's always not, that's always pretty good. Yeah. 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 When we, when so we live back in, in Philly, yeah. um, those games would end way too late. Way too late. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So those, and of course, Monday night football. So I at least get those two usually. And, um, and then in the afternoon, I might catch one, you know, one of the, the end of the one of the so two and a half, I guess. I have not, I have not developed the habit yet again. I mean, I used to yeah. watch them all the time, nonstop. Right. And, and I told myself, I'm going to get back into it this year. And I haven't watched one yet. I know. <laughs> well, and so for, so I told you I've done fantasy football for 23 years, right? Yeah. Roughly. Right so is it now. with the same group of people? One league is the same, has been the same for almost virtually the same. I mean, there's wow. been some changes, you know, some players come and go, but, um, but for like the last five to six years, I've been very much just going through the motions with it. But then the last year, I second weekend joined a friend's league who needed somebody, you know, like, hey, we have this robo team. Somebody needs to take it. They've been playing for two weeks. So you already have a one, no, three weeks. So you already have a one and two record. Sorry about that. But <laughs> here you go. Here's, here's your team. And uh, the league was very, they used a um, messaging system, Marco Polo. Right. And so the, you know, it was fun because it was like a lot of fun trash talk and all that and feedback and discussion. So it actually uh, made me like, oh, I'm not so much going through the motions right now. I kind of like it. It's more of the relation, you know, the relationship made it more fun again. So this year I'm a little more into it than I have been in the last five or six years because of that league from that. I came in partway through last year. So, yeah. You know, thinking about the interaction that you were just describing there, it makes me wonder if maybe, maybe somebody should develop a theological, a missional theology fantasy league. <laughs> you know, so who, who, who pulls together and empowers the best team to make a positive impact. For, you know, and you know, you need that person who's good with social media. You need that person who knows how to build things. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Crazy. We did. So um, one league that I have been in, you know, I started a number of years ago. I started as a fundraiser for somebody, an artist friend of mine who wanted to do an art 
walk or art journey from the northern tip of New Zealand to the southern tip. Like there's a trail that right. you can, and their goal was to every day walk a certain number of miles. At the end of the day, stop and do an art piece wherever they 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 were that that day. But of course, to do it, they needed you know funds. So I started. I helped. I pitched in a bit by starting this uh, football league where it was like you have to pay a certain amount to get in. All the proceeds go to the uh, artist, and the artist contributed a piece of art that we were playing for, you know, as the trophy. So <laughs> that would fun. be fun. That's a nice way to mm-hmm. do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Not bad. And we try. I tried to keep it going for a couple more years. You know, that was the focus the first year. The next year and the third year was all right. Um, the winner gets to choose where the money goes at the end, and I and the next two years the payment declined every time. So I think having the focus from the beginning of this is where it's going. That would be better than, you know, doing it for you. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. We used to, our family used to do fantasy football. Uh, My, my, my nephews, a couple of my nieces, our kids, and we would, we, we would have a league. We carried that on for about probably five or six years at least. And I kind of miss it. You know, it was a fun time for us to interact with each other. Right. Uh, to keep that part going. Mm-hmm. But haven't gotten back into it in the last few years, three years or so. Oh, well, of... let me know if you ever want to. I'll get you in and want to know my leagues. So, yeah, I might, might, might be needing to do that next year. There you Cause go. Because then, then it gets you engaged in, in the week to week in right. a completely different way. A little bit more. That's right. It was, uh, I remember when we were, when we were in the leagues, I'd be watching a football game and it's almost like I wasn't caring about which team won. I just wanted to make right. sure my, my player build up some good stats. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. <laughs> Been there. Actually. Yeah, it does. It did make me less of a, you know, root for, I mean, I still of course root for my team when they were in, but I became more interested in the rest of the games. And so I would at the peak of my interest, you know, uh, be watching way more games than I. Now your your team would. is the Cowboys, right? Yes. Yeah. Don't t- don't tell a lot of people that, but yes. Well, it's out there. <laughs> okay. You know, and and uh, gosh, yeah, I, I mean, my team's always been like the Oakland Raiders. Yeah, Las Vegas and, Raiders. Now. Yeah, that's right. And then um, I've I've also liked uh, the New England Patriots. Sure. Uh, yeah. It's like I like the teams that are like underdogs. The Patriots, thing, oh, a long time ago. Yeah. Oh, I don't mean New England Patriots. I didn't mean New England Patriots. I meant oh, the Buffalo, okay. Buffalo Bills. Buffalo there Bills. you go. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Buffalo Bills. Yeah. It's like, you know, I was really pulling for them when they had the Harvard graduate uh, quarterback, you know, Fitzpatrick. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's right. yeah, that's awesome. He's awesome. Go Harvard. <laughs> yeah. And then There's... You know, o- Oakland was always this uh, potential great that just would always shoot themselves in the foot with the uh, draft choices and oh, with yeah, firing yeah, yeah. a coach after a great winning season and <laughs> <laughs> okay you're done you know uh the thing about oakland especially under the uh former owner you know they have a reputation for being uh one of the more inclusive organizations in the nfl first to hire a latino coach first to hire i think a black head coach first to hire a woman on their coaching staff Wow. Um, and they this year are fielding an athlete who's the first openly LGBTQ. That's right. You know, 
Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> kind of in their DNA. Their That's pretty good. Dude. Yeah. Uh, you know, it kind of goes with their image a bit to kind of like, no, thumb their nose at the. That's right. The, the, it's the, it's, it's the pirate. Status yeah. quo. Yeah. 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 So. so they are kind of a cool little organization. Always has been. Yeah. Well, while we're keeping up with the the F, maybe we should uh, let people know that coming up after our conversation, make sure to stay tuned for yeah. Melissa Flora Bixler. That's the F, Flora Bixler. Flora and Bixler. I, you know, and sometimes I'm not always sure when somebody has two um, surnames, which name is the alphabetically the first, but I'm pretty sure it's right. Flora. This one, yep, Flora. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and her book, recent book, How to Have an Enemy. How to so have we'll, a foe? I mean, an enemy. A foe? Yeah, that'll be better. <laughs> but uh, get, let's go. Let's contact the publisher. Have them change that. Change that. Uh, yeah, at least for the F episode. <laughs> so that's that. That is coming up. We had a good conversation with her last week. Yeah, uh, I had to come in partway through, but yeah, she was. Uh, I, the book is. Um, I haven't read it all. Have you? But yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Great topic too, because you know sometimes we have this thinking of like, eh, why, how to have an enemy? Why should we? You, I thought we weren't supposed to have enemies, but as she astutely points out, Jesus says, "Love your enemies," which kind of assumes you have some. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of the I think a, a place to begin that realization, and I've I've always worked with that understanding when I'm doing conflict resolution, because it's easy to vilify the other side. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it's almost like if you're going to vilify them, fine, call them an enemy. And then Jesus that's lets you know what to do. Oh yeah. Exactly. I'm supposed to love them. Yeah. That's a good point. But there's a, that's but a what point. I've noticed is groups when they don't, when they're not willing to use the F word for their opponent. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> foe. Foe. Yeah. That F word. Uh, when, they, when, when they're not enemy, when they're not acknowledging the enemy, it's almost like they're okay. doing, they don't have to be loving. Yeah. It's like a passive aggressive, yeah. you know, and, oh, no, uh, they're not in that category. Yeah. We're not going to include them. We're going to talk bad about them. We're going to. Exactly. Hey, yeah. Hey, so, hey. so learning, learning how to have an enemy, especially when they're within your congregation or within your family, within your circle of friends. Uh, she oh, used a phrase about the purple church. You yeah. know, that, that yeah. church that has the, you know, the, the uh, red and blues politically in there. And so there's some, there's some good stuff in there. Yeah. Awesome. Great discussion. Um, that made me think, what was I going to say? I don't know. I can't remember. Anyway. <laughs> there, there's another author that I want to want to see if we can uh, talk to. Um, and I think I'm, yeah, I think I sent you a, a link, but um, Cynthia Long Westfall is yes. a professor in Canada. Uh, gosh, what's the name of the, the school, right? It's off the, I can't remember the name of the, the school, but she's a, she's a New Testament uh, scholar specializing in, in the book of Hebrews, but she did this uh, study of Paul, the Apostle Paul and gender, and right. turns the, the whole conversation on its head, really, and points out that Paul pretty consistently was moving in a very Jesus-like progressive direction to undo the limitations that women had. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's not an easy read. Um, there's a whole lot That's of footnotes, scholarly. super yeah. scholarly. Yeah. It took me a while to digest it, but once I was done, I was like, wow, that is uh, to me, it was, it was really eye-opening and surprising. Yeah. 
So hopefully we'll be able to have her in a future interview. And she, Cindy Long Westfall, Carla and I knew her when she was just Cindy Long. And she was was just a tiny little. Yeah, when she was just a tiny little grad student in seminary. (laughs) Um, So she went to the Conservative Baptist Seminary in Denver, Denver Baptist, uh, Denver Seminary. And uh, she worked for an organization called Campus Ambassadors. And they had a program where you go to school in the summertime and in the, and then during the school year, you would go do your internship. And her internship was leading our campus fellowship while we were at NAU and Flagstaff. A lot of us there. Yeah. Flagstaff fellowship. And and I did not know, because I grew up Presbyterian, I did not know that I was supposed to be offended that she was a woman leading our campus fellowship. Um. Somebody had to educate you on that. Yeah, yeah. And so she's, you know, she was somebody who, you know, we were quite familiar with. And she was really, uh, I would say, instrumental on a lot of my faith development. And so it was kind of fun to see her after all these years, kind of lost track. And it's like, oh, wait, you're a New Testament scholar. And continuing in the path that she had developed, oh, years and years ago. So hopefully we'll get her on. Um, That'd be fantastic. Fantastic. So, and we need to have an interview with your dog. <laughs> he's chiming in, man. He's, he's, he's letting his voice be heard. <laughs> he were, there's uh, somebody walking around out in our garden, you see. So, so you're being protected. Church, That's the, good. In the church garden, yeah. So, so are you familiar with the protection bark? Like, I'm in charge here, stay away. Or is that the friendly bark that says, hi, would you just say hi to me? That, that's the, I don't know. No, that's a, uh, I don't know that's protection, but it's definitely alert. An alert okay. You know, alert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, our dog talks. I mean, oh, it's, I mean, it's like. Yeah, he it's, definitely has different barks. Yeah. But, uh, that one, I believe is, yes, that's got to be like alert. He is pretty friendly with that person out in the garden usually, but it's a distance away. He's behind a fence. That plays a major role in it, the fact that he's behind a fence. Because when they come inside the fence, he's a whole lot more easier, easy going. <laughs> I don't know. So I see that you're outside enjoying the sun. Yes. Now I'm going in. But it, it's no longer summer, so um, the next this F. Is, this is the autumnal time of the year. Oh, I thought it was fall. Oh, yes. <laughs> Indeed. It so is. That's, that, that's the so other I F. Hear, I want to hear what your fall plans are. Are you going to oh. do fire pit Fridays? Well, see, that's, that's a summer thing, but we had so much smoke this summer. We never had any open feels, fire days. Feels like to me that uh, the fall time would be the right time now. So yeah, I think we're going to have fire pit Fridays on Saturdays. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we'll probably still have to call it fire pit Friday, uh, just so that people oh, who are on that previous mailing list can be addressed. <laughs> Maybe you can call it Scorch Ring Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
soot, soot saturation Saturday. But singe, yeah, we singe, singe Saturday. So I think we'll we'll yeah we're thinking about doing that, and then I'm kind of thinking, well, when do we do that? Because a lot of the people, you know, it's like would so many church people would be like, well, I can't stay up late Saturday night. Now, like, well, okay, so you're out, and so that's okay. We'll just invite all the others. That's what I'm gonna say. Maybe those are the people you don't want at your. No, I'm just kidding. Don't if you're listening to Craig's podcast, I don't mean it. (laughs) But um, yeah, it's like we we we. I think it's definitely time for that. That'd be a good idea. So we'll probably do that. My big plans for the fall is on Thursday. I'm flying down to Tempe, Arizona. Ooh. And then on Saturday, I'm performing the wedding for my nephew. Oh, and yeah. his, uh, the wedding for my nephew and his wife, because they are married through a justice of the peace, but they would like to have a ceremony. Oh, okay. So, okay. So we'll be doing that. And um, then when I get back, I'm going to get ready for my hand surgery on my right hand. That's Oh, that's right. You already did your left hand. Yeah. And now... Uh, as long as all the COVID stuff uh, remains somewhat under control, I don't know. But the surgery center I was supposed to go to had to reschedule because they got switched over to um, a bed facility. Triage. facility. Triage. Yeah, triage. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. yeah. So, so that's my fall, really, is um, weddings and fixing my hand. Wedding and surgery. Yeah, okay. Yep. That sounds like yeah. a decent lineup. I, You know, I don't have any plans per se um you know my birthday is coming up this month and we have uh halloween of course and our kids get into that so we're going to be doing stuff for that a couple different parties and whatnot that's on is that on a sunday is it yes yes it is yeah so what will happen because here in this town they actually do a big um they shut down the main street and all the businesses, you know, gather around it and do a big deal for the kids. But when it's on a Saturday or I mean a Sunday, I think they end up doing it. It's either Friday or Saturday. I think they even try to stay away from Saturday. So it's one of those two, but anyway, they, they do it not on Halloween. So I have to bear that in mind because when we were here, I mean, even the houses, even the houses don't do trick or treating on Halloween. If it's on a Sunday, they do it the day before. Like they print oh. it in a, a newspaper. You know, this is when you're <laughs> with this and make it a big deal. It's wow. this day, not that day. So yeah. So one year we were like, okay, let's go do it. it well, is know, that because Halloween? Halloween? Because Halloween is is Satan's birthday. Is that why? He, I think there's some of that thought in there, but also like. Yeah, I, make sure make sure we know that craig said that sarcastically yeah i know <laughs> it's home yeah they uh they, i must have something to do with that but yeah so they won't do that wow uh, on sunday and yeah we walked around and people a few houses were like oh okay we still have candy but several were like no how trick-or-treating was yesterday or whenever it was and i was like oh I feel wow. so bad for my, my kids are all dressed up and <laughs> yeah, we're trying to get candy and only a couple houses. Well, that's Ooh, sad. Have, yeah, I know it. 
Are you there? So, okay. so the, uh, yeah, you, either your signal or my signal is really weak. I'm not sure who it is, Probably mine. but, um, you know, that reminds me, you know, Halloween, all Hallows Eve, all saints day, you know, all souls day. Uh, one of the things we haven't talked about for a while is the lectionary. I know it. And, and one of the best Halloweens I remember is when Carla and I were visiting a church in Chicago. We were actually traveling across the country, visiting some friends, and we went to a church in Chicago, and the pastor did a great sermon. Or not the pastor, it was one of the, somebody else in the congregation, did a great sermon about Halloween, kind of the history, kind of a little study of anthropology, what gave rise to that, uh, you know, yes. recognition of that time of year. Um, it was, it was really impactful in a lot of ways. It's like, wow, I think the church really ought to jump on Halloween and enjoy it. Exactly. That's and then that, that evening, the church met, everybody met at the church and we were invited to go. And it was, uh, the church went around the neighborhood singing this little light of mine, like nonstop, uh, oh, that's cool. and, uh, carrying candles kind of like a, had like a vigil feel mm-hmm. and then, uh, had a party at the end of this. Oh yeah. They went knocking on doors in the neighborhood and said, Hey, we're going to have a party. You want to come and join us? Here's a candle walk with us. And then they got to the park and they had like a bunch of candy for kids and all that kind of thing. But it was, uh, it was, it was so cool. And it's like, that's a sacred way to do that. I loved it. I love it. Yeah. That is so cool. Nice. Come plan that for next year. Uh, yeah, I like that. That's a good idea. I mean, we could throw together a, a little march around the neighborhood. That'd be all right. We could probably yeah. do that this year. Yeah, I love it. Nice. So um, let's go ahead and wrap things wrap, wrap things up because we got that long interview coming up with uh, uh, yes. Melissa. Here, get, that we will insert here. Insert here. Just kidding. <laughs> place, place tab A into slot B. <laughs> oh. So. All right. All right. Good, good, good discussion on <laughs> all the Fs. All the Fs, the F episode. So. You just took all my Fs. You know, it. I, I wonder, you know, when we put the title uh, on this, the F episode, I just wonder what event, what anybody's going to assume you know what they let their minds wander let them let them come and find out (laughs) oh man sounds good all right well all right were you were you getting ready to grill outside no i was just being outside but okay yeah no nothing today i could though I yeah, well, here's here's one food item to throw in there. I think I'm going to smoke some fish Ooh. this afternoon. Oh, so. I have not done that yet because I'm the only real fish eater in our in our house. So, uh, you know, and me to too. But when it, when it's smoked, uh, even people who don't like fish like it because it makes them think of bacon, and everybody oh, likes ooh, bacon. That's a good idea. Yeah, that's true. Good point. Well, uh, maybe I'll give it a try and see if the kids at least like it. There's probably a lot of stuff that's once it's smoked, it'll be good. You know, you could probably put an old shoe in there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what my my dad's steaks are like. So I've had that. 
Yeah? Were, were they smoked? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. Just grilled the too much. <laughs> grilled the bejesus out of them. Yeah, that's right. All right. <laughs> grilled, grilled the F out of them. <laughs> the flavor? Exactly. Yeah. And the flavor. All right. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to call it good. Good works for me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And I, let's see. All right. Well, hello, I am Craig Morton, and uh, we're going to be talking today with Melissa Floor Bixler. Uh, Melissa is a pastor uh, in the, I was going to say the Far East of the United States, um, really kind of an in- interest to me, an interesting part of the country that I've never been to, but it seems like it's the East or it seems like it's the South, and I'm not really sure which it is. And uh, we'll let Melissa talk a little bit about where she can- where, where she is, how she got there, uh, a little bit about the, the book that she has recently uh, had published and released called How to Have an Enemy righteous anger and the work of peace uh to tell you the truth that title just reached out to me because it's like how to have an enemy we do need some lessons on how to do that correctly perhaps um but melissa go ahead and say hi and introduce yourself uh, great to be with you craig and thanks for having me on and um, yeah melissa floor bixler the pastor of raleigh mennonite church um the only game in town, the only Mennonite church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, so we kind uh, of hold down the fort here. This is not a sort of traditional place where Mennonites settled. Um, our congregation's been in the area for about 30 years, but, um, you know, it's uh, it's really the, has a particular um, peace witness here um, because, um, this is a very militarized part of the country, high gun ownership. Um, and, um, yeah, so we, we have a sort of exciting and interesting life here in the South and, um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been quite a journey here, um, where I've been for the past five years. So, so now are you're, you're not a North Carolinian by birth, are you? Is this your home territory or? I grew up in Northern Virginia, about 30 miles outside of DC. Um, So a little bit more, a little bit closer to the culture of sort of um, rural and um, post-suburban life than to sort of more cosmopolitan DC. Um, So tended to be a little bit more um, racially diverse, certainly socioeconomically depressed. Um, and yeah, so uh, some more familiar culturally here in North Carolina than okay. other places I've lived. Well, it's interesting because there are parts of Virginia where there's a lot of Mennonites. Yes. And yep. uh, now in North Carolina, are there other than Mennonites, are there other peace church traditions, historic peace churches? Uh, you know, whether it be Brethren of Christ or Quakers or whoever might. The the friends are here and they have a a small but vibrant presence. Um, The 
church we worshiped at before Chapel Hill Mennonite actually shared space, uh, rented space from the Quakers for years and years. And we've done, um, you know, work with them around uh, how to prepare people for conscientious objection, especially af when the Afghanistan and Iraq wars were, were um, starting to heat up and in, in the mid 2000s. So, um, so relationships, but um, in presence, but certainly Methodists and Baptists are the, are the big game in town here in, in North Carolina. Well, thinking about other denominations, one of the things I noticed when I looked at your biography, you, you tend to have a, an interest in denominations that begin with the letter M. Uh, yeah. So you had Moravian, Methodist, and now Mennonite uh, experiences. Uh, yeah. And I was kind of, kind of going through the alphabet. What are the denominations <laughs> begin with the letter M? I was thinking Mormon, but that's kind of a, a big shift. I don't know what would be next, but what is that pilgrimage? Where, where, what, what kind of faith tradition did you grow up with? Did you grow up Moravian and move toward Mennonite or how'd that work? I actually grew up in the Episcopal Church with the letter E. Yeah. Um, and um, but the the more con the conservative end of the Episcopal Church that has since left the Episcopal Church to become oh. the Anglican Church in North America. So when I say Episcopalian, I some people think like, oh, that's a really you know progressive, interesting church. And and this is a church that you know basically my church split over the inclusion of LGBTQ people in the church. Right. Um, and so that was, all, you know, I, um, because of that, I also grew up in a tradition that didn't have, I, women um, it technically could have, but I, I never had a woman priest growing up and very strong sense of hierarchy and, um, you know, the, I, very clearly the priest is set apart from everyone else is the only one who can, you know, um, preside over the sacraments and, um, and so that was really the, the tradition that formed me and been grateful for that tradition in many ways. And especially for the liturgies of the book of common prayer, um, were deeply formative for me. Um, and, uh, around the time that the, that, that the Iraq and Afghanistan wars were, were starting, um, that was when I, when I noticed, just began to realize that the Episcopal church just didn't really have a a way to respond to, to okay. what was happening in a way that felt faithful to me about, about the work in life and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right. And that became more troubling to me um, until it sort of came to a point of, I guess, of, of reckoning when I met um, Peter Dula, who was serving with Mennonite central committee in Iraq um, okay. at the height of the war and, and Peter's um, testimony of going to Iraq and when everyone else is leaving, um, um, eventually had to be evacuated, uh, sort of orders for evacuation. But, but prior to that, had um, committed to a kind of peace that was dangerous. Um, and I had never seen that before. Um, war was dangerous, but, but right. peace was just, you know, trying to get people to get along or not have conflict and um, and that, that really changed a lot for me, um, the, the witness of Mennonite Central Committee, especially in places of war. Um, and so I did some other things, um, lived in a large community in Portland, Oregon, and um, eventually went to seminary at Princeton, um, had really little kids. Um, and uh, so was- They usually are really little when you have them. That's, that is this, that's how mine started out. Yeah, yeah. Um, really, really little. Um, and then 
yeah, so needed to work um, some more part-time than full-time. And so ended up with the Moravians for a couple of years okay. and then um, I got hired by Methodist church to work part-time for them. And then eventually was called um, back to the Mennonite church. Um, okay. So yeah. you were, you were in Portland for a while. What, when were you over, when were you over in Portland? I was in Portland from 2005, 2004, 2005 to 2008. Okay. Yeah. Those are some of the golden years of Portland. That's when Portland was weird and before everybody noticed it. Yeah. 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 It was, I haven't been back. Our daughter was born there. Haven't been back since we left to go to seminary. And um, it just sounds like things are really different now. Yeah, they're kind of different, but it's it's still one of my favorite places to go. Yeah. So, uh, so, so you went to Princeton for what for undergraduate or was no, that for your- my M- for my MDiv? Okay, mm-hmm. so so where did you go for undergraduate school? Uh, Gordon College in Massachusetts. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's kind of bouncing around. All right. So Gordon yeah. in Massachusetts. Yeah. Wasn't that a originally a Baptist school? Yeah. Yeah. So it, um, yep. Emerged out of the Baptists, but is now sort of a non-denominational denominational school. Mm -hmm. All right. And then you go to a Presbyterian school, uh, Princeton, which is not exclusively Um, Presbyterian, but I mean, yeah, actually went to Duke in between. So, okay. So so I went from Gordon down to Duke, did a master's degree in religion and the religion department, um, spent some time in Portland and then did my MDiv at Princeton. That's a, that, that's a fascinating, I, for me, I'm fascinated by the academic pilgrimage mm-hmm. as well, just because of places like Princeton and Duke, you are interacting with some incredibly eclectic thinkers and students who are coming from all over the place with different traditions. Um, how did, how did that experience more of the, you know, the broadening of the horizons, the, you know, the inputs from other voices, how did that um, influence, or were you already sure you wanted to be a pastor of some sort or involved in some kind of service relief mission work? But how did that, how did those things come together for you? So I went to Duke thinking that I would, I would do doctoral work, um, in early Judaism. Um, and so my first degree is actually in second, or I guess my second degree, my master's degree, is in second temple Judaism was the, was the focus of the work I did. So, um, I studied the rabbis and the Mishnah and, um, but at the same time I was, that was a really just sort of, um, golden age of Mennonites at, at Duke when, um, uh, there was a big group of us who had, um, had come, um, and this was before I was Mennonite, um, but uh, so that's when I, Peter Dula was there and um, Jen Graber was studying at that time, um, Chris Hubner, Matt Thiessen, um, and a lot of them had come to study with Stanley Hauerwas. Right. Um, and, and so I, you know, I, um, I sort of started off getting Mennonites through the, through Stanley's lens. That was my um, through ethics class with, with right. Stanley, um, and the people that he introduced us to and sort of the relationships that were forming with Mennonites there. Um, so a very different sort of vantage point on what it meant to be Mennonite, um, because my primary partners were, um, people who either were, um, you know, Peter's 
father is an Ethiopian Mennonite. Um, Isaac Viegas is um, first generation Mennonite and an immigrant and his parents are from Costa Rica and um, Colombia. Um, and so the so not um, so from the very beginning, my understanding of what it meant to be Mennonite um, was was church. Um, you're a Mennonite because of the people because you go to a Mennonite church um, and you're formed through worship for a particular form of life that takes place in the world. It, um, I knew the ethnic stuff and the, you know, but my primary formation was never in, in, in a broadly white Mennonite culture. And it never has been, I've only ever worshiped at, um, urban Mennonite churches. <laughs> um, and That's so, yeah, so it's just a very different sort of experience of, um, Mennonite identity be- right. because of that. My my Mennonite identity was went went through a, a period of shock. I mean, I had a I had a uh, a different but similar non Mennonite pilgrimage to Anabaptism, and my first the first congregation was a rural congregation in South Central Kansas, uh, just outside of Newton, Kansas, and that's where I learned about all that ethnic history and culture and. I was shocked. I thought, oh, it is about worship and discipleship and service and, you know, these key uh, practices. And it's, yeah, it was, it was a bit of an eye opener. Uh, So you have not lived in that kind of traditional Mennonite experience, which I think is, is a, is to me, it's a little bit, I envious, I suppose. I, that's where it's like, I would, I would like that, but that's kind of where we are here in the Pacific Northwest as well. I mean, it's a, it's an eclectic region where people have come from all over, uh, in fact, people say for almost all the traditions, everybody is out here. They say they ran away from the east until they hit the ocean and then they bounced back because they couldn't go any further. Right. <laughs> so so uh, you have this interest, uh, this faith based interest or sense of um, attraction to um, this idea of discipleship that is involved in the community, involved in um, it sounds like significant social movements. Uh, uh, being aware of issues of privilege and oppression. And one of the things that, as you were describing your, your um, pilgrimage, your, 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 your story was when the Anglican faith didn't seem to hold the resources to, to fuel that. It made me think of a firefighter when they hear an explosion, they run to the fire. They, they want to find ways to go and be there. It seems like you had that internal uh, spirit that was like, oh, there's something out here that needs um, needs the presence of God's reign and realm. How can I go do that? And so it was like uh, you were rushing to the fire. Mm-hmm. Um, so how how did you, with that background you had with with your education or your sense of call, you you move into this book this this book specifically uh, about how to have an enemy, and you are repeatedly through this resourcing, not only through, you know, go do this, you know, kind of like a to-do list for, for how to engage, but you're giving strong biblical narrative behind it that, you know, is motivating, I would think, worship and discipleship into action. So what was, what was the genesis of this book? Why did you want to write it? How did it come out of your own experience and how do you see it helping others in their their uh, faith life. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, um, 
I mean, it starts with, I think, where a lot of us have been sort of pondering um, for the past five years is the the Trump administration. Um, and that that broke something in me. Um, you know, I, I think up until that point in 2016, the kind of um, we didn't, we just hadn't really seen partisan sorting in quite, quite yep. as, uh, quite in the way that sort of, um, erupted in that election. Um, and I, I, I was sort of, you know, like everybody just, just really struggled over that first year. And, you know, we had people in our people going into live, moving into sanctuary congregations and, I was getting trained about how to respond um, when, to, to like on site for ICE, when ICE showed up in our towns and we have, you know, the, all of these, yeah, it's, it's just this, it was like this year of organizing and, and just sort of this like chaotic response to how do we protect the people around us? And, and so my entire life that first year was, you know, how do we, put up like whatever, how can we put our bodies between ourselves and the Trump administration policies? Um, so it's been the whole year thinking about this. Uh, oh yeah, we did um, bystander training. You know, we we would go to our our local mosque um, it, as, as support people. Like all, I mean, all of this is happening in this first year and I'm waiting for the church, waiting for the church to say, we need like, yes, this is, this is the moment that we have been waiting for. <laughs> like, this is the, the Kairos <laughs> moment of like, you're like, shit hits the fan here. We're going to step into the breach. Like, this is what it means to follow Jesus. And what I got instead was it's really just a sign of God's love and care and of unity and peace that people who voted for Donald Trump and people who are standing against Trump's policies can worship together on Sunday. That's like, like the purple church is like really like the place where God is working among us to overcome our divisions. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Like what, how is it possible that you came to that conclusion? Um, and I, and I realized that in the midst of that, what I was hearing was, um, these are people who I don't think have ever had to really grapple if they have enemies, if they yeah. should have enemies. Yeah. Oh, you just froze there. Hopefully you'll bounce back here. So Melissa, hopefully you're still on, but you have frozen with the last thought of whether or not people should have enemies. So we'll see if uh, if it comes through again. Hey, Cody, you logged on, right? I'm here. Yep, you're not frozen. Well, I've been told I'm part of the frozen chosen. So having a good conversation with Melissa here, but uh, her, her internet seems to have taken a pause. Uh, she oh, looks like she's going to have to reconnect. So <laughs> yeah, Zoom can only handle two at a time today. Maybe that's all it is. 
Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, I had to hop on late. That is not a, a problem. Gazillion things oh, going Melissa, on. Melissa, you're back. Oh, you're She's muted. Mu- muted, though. Hi, sorry. Maybe no, I that's all off. right. Hey, Melissa, meet Cody. Cody, say hi to Melissa. Hi, Melissa. So uh, we already covered the fact that part of her background covers both of our traditions. My Mennonite, you're, oh. you're Methodist there. Sweet. So, so, Very nice. Yeah. Um, but you were, you were just saying, Melissa, about this purple church. And I would love you to have you go on a little bit at length about that. And you, know, you were talking about you know, people thinking about, should, you know, do we have enemies? Should we have enemies? And then it just froze on that question about, you know, having enemies. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, you know, I think when we just got cut off, one of the things I I was realizing is that in that sort of uh, lifting up the virtue of unity in the midst of difference is that, that I, I got, I realized that what part of this was the, we were getting the results of this, um, failure of the church to ask the question that comes before love your enemies, which is who are your enemies, (laughs) right? It's like, you got to be able to answer that question, um, first before, before you can sort of go on, onto this other question. And, um, and that, that question, um, really makes all the difference (laughs) for what, for how you love your enemies, um, uh, how you begin to recognize who your enemies are will, will mean something for how you love them. Well, especially if you're just a very loving, peaceful person who doesn't have any, any, any enemies, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's part uh, of the denial that we find ourselves in. It's like, it's not nice having enemies. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, especially cause you know, were talking about now we're deep into the Trump administration and, and just thinking about what does it mean to be a church with so few solidarities um, that 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 would even occur that that to be able to say, oh wow, we can look at like the immigration situation here, you know, that there are people getting picked up at their workplaces, um, like you know, we have this chicken factory and thirty people are arrested um, for making our food for us, processing chicken that we all eat, um, jobs that nobody in North Carolina wants to have. Right. And we have 30 children whose, whose mothers and fathers are never going to come home because they're being deported back to countries that they've never lived in. Um, and to be able to look at that situation and say, yeah, I just, I don't really have any solidarities in here that would, that would call out to me, wow, there, this is, this is a problem. And, um, and I need to decide where I, like, we need to decide where are we, um, who are we for in the midst right. of this situation? So, so um, does the purple, does the purple church then say, well, you know, there's two sides to it. And, uh, you know, we need to look at from the other perspective and understand, whereas the, the, the one that's in solidarity, especially with children, you know, is like, really, there's, there's not another side here. There, there, there is this side of, of, you know, people being hurt with, and you can't justify the other side. You know, Craig, I wish it would it it even got that far, okay. um, but I don't even think that that kind of conversation happens. Um, I think most of the time, what we end up seeing is um, this is a space for us to be freed 
from, from those kind of things that divide us and for us to focus on our unity in Jesus. And we do that by sharing around the communion table. We all come together and we are one at the table together. We, we do this by worshiping together. Um, if we can break down um, the bar- the sort of psychological barriers that, that divide us, um, enmity of the affectual kind, right? right. Um, then that is actually where our hope lies. Um, it's the problem is not the, uh, the issue. The problem is the response to it, right? We can, it doesn't matter what we think about immigration, as long as we're not mad at each other about where we, where we stand on that issue. Um, as long as we can still worship together without, um, frustration about our different opinions, then, then we should be fine. So do you think a church, any, just like, let's make it a congregation, not like a network or a denomination, but just any congregation that has these different sides in it. Is there, is there a benefit of that congregation to be able to view those who are of an opposing uh, perspective to say, you're my enemy. Uh, Therefore I know that I'm supposed to love you. If I don't, if I'm in denial about that, I'm just might be aggravated about your difference. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that we do, it's important for us to be able to name that, that like something's on the line here. Right. right? right. Um, and though that something is either on the line because um, the, because like I'm directly affected by the power that you have over me, that you're exercising, that you're, you know, are in solidarity with, with power or because of my solidarities with suffering people, you, you are continuing to participate in their harm. Um, that seems helpful to name, but I think what we also know is that that we don't just want that to continue, right? Like we want, we want to be a people who are about the things that Jesus are about. Um, yeah. So, so one of the, one of the questions I sort of like unhelpfully ask, um, when I hear about people who are very excited that their sort of churches have stayed together, I, I want to, has anybody denounced Trumpism in your church in the past five years? Um, because surely you don't actually think that that's good, right? Like that, you know, you don't think that like a, a politics built on white supremacy and white identity rage is, is good for people, for any of us. Um, and, and so, so again, if, if the intention is for us to move out of our enmity towards one another and by aligning ourselves with the politics of Jesus, then I would expect now five years down the line, you have something to show for that. And if you right. don't, um, you know, like just doing something that's not working um, is probably just not something you want to do forever, right? You might want to like try a new strategy. Um, yeah, so that's so that's usually the question I have is how effective is this unity strategy right. for actually getting people into being disciples of Jesus Christ in the way that we are called to um, out of scripture by the good news? You know, it sounds like that that form of discipleship is um, well, going back, I think it is to to even to Harawas, or maybe it was Will Williman, but one of they they have a they have a statement. <clears throat> I think it's in Resident Aliens that the, the church has a truth 
that cannot be known to the world by any other means, but by the church being the church. And they're, 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 and generally they're speaking of what I would envision as kind of an Anabaptist form of discipleship. It's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's assertively entering into these places of, of oppression and harm and injustice and seeking to make the presence of Jesus known there. There's something about that that has this identity. And some of the things that you're making me think about that I hadn't thought of when I read through the book is your education in Second Temple Judaism, which was this time of really strong identity formation of you know, coming up from the other nations, of uh, shaping almost um, even painfully so with Ezra and Nehemiah and kind of the you know, expelling and destroying families for the sake of this kind of concept of um, pure identity. So that idea of identity formation in Second Temple Judaism and identity formation in, in Jesus-centered discipleship, how do, how, do, how do those things feed into each other? I mean, this gets a little abstract and maybe a bit geeky, but it kind of came to, I don't know if I'm off base or not. Yeah. You know, I, I think that we, one of the, one of the things that we often um, sort of imagine because of the, because we do have such distinct um, religious traditions of Judaism and Christianity today, we often lose track of the fact that it took about four centuries for that to actually yeah. truly realize itself. Um, and even then, you know, it, um, we often had, um, like on the ground in archeological resources that Christians and Jews were hanging out together a lot more than probably like, um, were, you know, there was a lot of intermixing and, right. and sharing of things that, that, probably their leaders were not super happy about. Um, and so, yeah, so the, so these edges of, of identity, I think are always sort of are always being contested. Um, and we can think about identity as something that is, um, stable that we can claim that we sort of put our mark on, or we can think about identity as, um, as a series of, uh, of actions of solidarity that create a particular form of life. Um, and as, as we continue to amass those, um, that, that sort of materialism, um, our identity changes, right? Like, like we are going to have new questions next year that we didn't have last year, right? Like we have, we are thinking about Afghan refugees right. in a, in a way that we weren't a year ago, right? Um, we're thinking about climate change and the possibilities for real climate change solutions in a different way, which maybe makes us think about what are our relationships to, uh, non-human creatures in a different way, right? Like, so we're, we're constantly in this place of, um, identity forming and reforming and being broken apart and being rebuilt in places. Um, but what becomes central to that, um, is our belief in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Um, and, um, and how that, uh, the story of that good news that is traced out for us in, in scripture. Okay. Yeah. Um, so moving, moving forward that it, it's, it's, um, 
it's this dynamic that we're trying to uh, maneuver through. We've, we've got a central conviction, but these emergent questions that just come, keep coming at us, whether it be, you know, as you, you know, just rattled off a bunch of things, you know, just over the last few months, you know, you know, the climate change, Afghan refugees, those two uh, now, you know, again, back in the news uh, issues at the border, Haitian refugees and, one thing after another, those things never stop, it seems. Yeah. How, how, what, what are the practices that maintain that, uh, stream, that, that, that constant thread, the, the thread of consistency? Is that what I'm looking for with this idea of, of the Lordship of Jesus? How did, how, what are the practices that, that maintain that? Yeah, I mean, this, and this is where we kind of sort of go back to, you know, that we need other people to help mm-hmm. us along this way, um, which is what, you know, at its most basic, what the church provides. Um, we were talking a little bit about how I grew up in the Episcopal church, very hierarchical. And so it was a big surprise to me to find out that my, really my only job as a Mennonite pastor is um, to create an environment where people can discern together the Holy Spirit's work among us um, and to do whatever I needed to do to clear the way for um, that discernment to be able to take place. That's a great job description. I should write that when I, when my, when, you know, when our annual meeting comes around, I'll just put that down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really, um, really that, that is your job. I mean, or that, that's my job. Fact, that's, that's what I do for a that's living. That's what Anabaptist community is actually, I, right. I would think, or maybe Christian community. Yep. Yeah. I don't know necessarily any more than anybody else. I'm, I am absolutely not holier or more pious. I'm actually probably in the lower, like two thirds of piety in our congregation. Um, Okay. What, what, what is, what is your piety standard? I mean, what's I didn't know there was a piety scale. (laughs) Yeah. We got to We got to get that figured out. A piety strata. You have not, you have not met like I don't know if you've hung out with like Lancaster County Mennonite women, but let me tell you the piety levels and like the ability to just be like filled with grace and holiness and like show up for like the most menial things, very strong okay. in this congregation right. life. Um, so sometimes I hear piety used as a, uh, as a, a put down, you know, very, they're a, oh, yeah. they're very pi- too pious or whatever. Oh but, no. Uh, you're I using love- it as a, I, I like love some good piety. Yeah. Okay. Like, I mean, like some holiness, bring it yeah. on. Yeah, that sounds I, like a really I good day for you. It and I fail. I am a miserable failure. Um, yeah, but I'm not like, I, I definitely am like, you know, middle tier for a lot of things in our church, but that's not my job is my job is not to be the most pious or to be the most, um, the smartest. My job is to help us discern God's presence among us. Um, which means we have to be good at conflict. We have to be able to have conflict well. Um, and you can't have conflict well if you don't love each other well, if you're if you're not like looking out, if you're um, you can't discern well together if you don't have something on the line with the other people in the room, right? Like um so and I think this is gets back to one of the sort of the when sort of like speaking of the purple church, like, I think there's also this sort of sense of, oh, wow. If I like, if I have Republicans and Democrats, I have a lot of diversity and no one else does. Like, I was like, we actually have a lot of like, 
um, it, it just doesn't happen to fall along those lines, right? right? Like um, we have socioeconomic diversity. We have like very strong Biden supporters and like Antifa, like counter protesters who are like out, like, you know, like in, in Confederate spaces with their counter protesting every weekend. Like that's a lot to like negotiate in church life. Um, and all of that needs to be a part of, of how we discern where God, where, where God has us collectively, um, going in, in the work that we do. Um, yeah. So in creating that, that, that community of discernment, how do you, uh, keep, how do you, how do you, um, I'm trying to find the right way to describe this. So I could see people, you know, community of difference and some people just kind of like crossing their arms and going, well, you know, you go do your thing. I'll do mine. Yeah. You're, you're fine. We're going to agree to disagree, but what they end up doing is really in practice, they end up creating, creating smaller walls, you know, between themselves, maybe not complete barriers, um, but it's almost, um, almost in a condescending way, you go do your thing and yeah, we, we won't participate. How do you actually get those people to come together? So you said conflict can be a healthy thing, a helpful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what, are, what are some ways that you think um, congregations can, can process that, that conflict? I mean, do you just call it out? Do you dance around the edges? Uh, have, what, are some, what are some ways that you've experienced? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sectarian. Um, so I, um, it is not, it's more significant to me that, um, we are able to act collectively than for us to have a lot of people who want to like go off in different directions and do different things and then get together on Sunday. Right. Um, so there does need to be like a shared commitment to, to putting ourselves where Jesus is, who, who is with the poor. Right. right? Um, and I just don't think you'd want to hang with us. If you, there are like a million churches you can go to in Raleigh, North Carolina, where you, no one is going to ask if you want to give um, $3,000 to a church member who's in ICE detention um, to help pay their legal fees. Like there's like, you can go anywhere you want. You don't need to come to, you don't need to come to us. If you want that kind of, if you, if you don't want to be in a position to have to think through what that means for us, for our, um, for how we spend our money for our collective witness. Um, and that's okay. Um, I don't need my church to be for everybody. Right. Um, I need it to be Mm. for the people who are deeply committed to the Mennonite witness of Jesus Christ, um, the Prince of Peace, who has come and and set up shop here among us, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of places, there's a lot of room within that vision. And there's also some things that like, if you're gonna, um, that you're just not gonna be comfortable with, um, right. and that's fine. Um, and recognizing that the space, what the spaciousness of that is, and what are the times where we need to say, actually, this is a place where we kind of need to be on the same page. Um, Mm. and so like, um, our inclusion of LGBTQ people would be one example of that. Um, you're welcome to come to church at RMC. If you don't think at Chris and Pam ought to be married, right. 
you say something in worship, I, I'll talk. I, we're going to, we're going to talk, right? <laughs> this, needs to be, this needs to be a safe place, a sanctuary for people who every day of their lives is reckoning with harm because of the person that they're married to, um, especially in the South. Um, and if we can't be a sanctuary for people whose lives are vulnerable elsewhere, then what are we even, what are we even doing? Um, everywhere else in the world, straight people have the, have the majority power can say and do whatever they want. And I, I have people who were walking down the street, holding hands with his boyfriend and got called the F word. Um, somebody shouting out things to them, um, out of their car. And I want, and this needs to be a place that isn't that place in here. Right. Um, and so that's, that is really something that continues to motivate me is, are we a place where people who outside of these church walls, um, are constantly feeling, um, beat down, pressed down, run over, is this the place where they can be fully themselves loved by God? Right. And you, your, your congregation has been working specifically with that topic for a quite a long period of time. Uh, yeah. At least in at least in the Anabaptist press, it's <laughs> popped up from time to time. Yeah. Yes, we have. <laughs> yes, we <laughs> Melissa, I wanted to ask you about to your uh, the role of anger in all of this. So, uh, in the role of discerning, you know where your energies will go, but also if you know if there is this anger. So we're often taught, and in fact. Uh, recently a friend and I had this conversation and he came to the conclusion, no one can get angry because no one is righteous like God. Therefore our anger is always going to be unrighteous and lead to bad things. And I was like, I don't, I I don't agree with that. I think there's (laughs) things that uh, uh, we should be patterning ourselves after God. We should be angry (laughs) about some things, but I wanted to hear your take in this whole having an enemy restore, restoring an enemy hopefully at some time as, as well but also but just what is the role of anger in this whole process yeah you know as a biblical christian who believes what the bible says um ephesians 4 says that we should be angry um so you know i hope your friends just like really gets back on board with the bible and um you know starts taking seriously the word of god I'm just kidding. I'm sure. I love the way you put that. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He had an answer to it, but I can't remember what his answer was because I brought that up. These revisionists always trying to get out (laughs) the Bible says, right? Clearly on the page before us. Um, Yeah. You know, I was just at a city at a, at a meeting about our new district for a new district attorney that um, we're having an election for district attorney next year. And um, there's a woman there, a black woman whose son um, was caught up in what were faked drug arrests. Um, There were probably at least 30 of, um, one um, one detective in particular who planted fake drugs on all of these black men in our community. Um, and it's been a year. He has not been indicted. The DA wow. was there. Um, and this woman was angry. She yeah. was angry. Her son 
was put in jail in a pandemic um, where he could have died. Um, And her anger filled this room. Um, And it was the most righteous and holy thing that I have seen in a long time um, to bear witness um, to this mother, this black mother um, who her um, every reasonable, rational, civil attempt at writing letters and having conversations and um, had availed nothing. Um, And in that moment, we could feel the power of that righteous anger. Um, um, And it was both directed at the DA, which was absolutely appropriate, but also echoed through this entire system um, that had protected and sealed off this detective from from being caught for over a decade. Um, And so in moments of like, moments like that, I recognize that um, anger has uh, has power, that can be both productive because it um, it brings light and attention to the places that um, we have wanted to hide away, um, and oftentimes it's easier to hide them away when with, through calmness and rational dialogue. Um, it actually reminds us of how serious that someone's life was actually on the other end of this. Um, and then we also know that there, there is anger that can burn, right? That can be, that can, that can destroy. Um, and so I think anger is something that we are always discerning. Um, um, who is angry, angry about what, um, in what context, to what end, um, um, how is this reinforcing pre-existing power or how is it power to people who are powerless? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's also a part of our discernment, right? Um, how does anger function in this moment? Um, what does it, how, what does it feel like? What's the shape of it? How does it, uh, what is it calling to us? That's such a huge, um, well, um, Anger is emotion. I mean, it's, it's, and it, in some ways it's kind of um, neutral. It depends what its motivations are, what it's, what its goals are, how it's handled, a variety of things like that. But it's also something that is um, hard, not always easy to empathize with. There's, there's bridges, there's, there's boundaries to cross. And one of the things that I, I know I keep having to work with is understanding the anger of others. Um, I'm an old white guy. I mean, cisgendered, white, male, middle-class, you know, in that, in that long tradition of privilege, it's, it's, I have to cross some boundaries to understand and not only understand, but really appreciate some other, other person's anger. And that's one of the, I think that's one of the things that I've been trying to, I don't want to say come to terms with, but just trying to understand to be able to take meaningful positions as an ally, whether it would be issues of, you know, gender identity or racial justice or a number of other things. Um, how, how, how do people get across those boundaries when they don't, aren't, aren't a part of the, 
they're not the they're not receiving the injustice, but they see it and but they can't feel the anger. It's a little more abstract and disconnected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I I quote this in the book, but I but Willie Jennings, um, the theologian from Yale, who was one of my teachers at Duke. Um, I think he, he has a good caution for us that, you know, he's, he talks, tells the story about how after every um, police shooting and death of a black man, his friends would call him up and say, you know, I don't know what it feels like. Um, I can't imagine your anger. And I feel like, um, but I want you to know that I I'm so sorry. I'm doing everything I can to, you know, and it was, and you read that and you think like, oh, that's the correct response. Of course, none of us can understand what it feels like. And his, and his rejoinder is, I actually need you to take hold of my anger. Um, You need to, you, white people need to learn how to take hold of black anger and make it your own um, to live so deeply into the solidarity that this, this um, moves you in the same way. Um, and so that I don't have to bear the burden of this anger alone. Um, and so I've really um, clung to that um, in, in thinking about the relationship, uh, my relationship as somebody who also is, you know, middle-class and white and, of a, a tremendous place of socioeconomic power and um, racial power here in the South. Um, what does it mean to not um, leave the black community alone in their anger, um, but to enter into it um, is, is something that I've been working on for myself as well. This is uh, reminds me of the conversation going on right now around empathy and in particular circles, people are, and it makes sense to me why they're attacking it, because then they would have to do something, you know, <laughs> but they're attacking empathy as sinful. They're even labeling it as like it's wrong. Empathy is a way to get sucked into sin and 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 stay there. Do you have any response to people making those arguments? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think what I what it often feels like with that conversation is is that there's a, that empathy is sort of um, like at an emotional level, right? Like um, I'm going to understand your position regardless of what it is. And I'm going to land there with you. And, um, and, and in some ways, you know, I, I recognize that I'm a bit of an empathy skeptic. Um, I think empathy does, um, a lot of things, um, that are often uncontrollable. So, so I, you know, I've, I've shared the story before of this really just terrible, um, death that happened in our community, not too far from here, where a mentally ill black man shot a four-year-old child named Cannon in his front yard. And these families knew each other. This was, um, these, this was not a stranger. It was a, a, a psychotic episode. This terrible death happened. And for weeks, Fox news ran these stories about white little white boys lives matter. Why can't you all this, you know, where is black lives matter when a white child is killed by a black man. And the idea was to weaponize empathy, right. And the family of this child even said, 
this is disgusting to see this turned into an episode of, um, of trying to like, you know, equate Black Lives Matter with, with this sort of broader idea of there being violence in our world. Um, and so, so, uh, so, but that, that was a way that empathy was used, right? Like this could be your child. Like this could be my, I have a white son. This could be your white son with this dangerous black man walking around. Um, and so, so for me, empathy is a useful tool and a powerful tool, but a tool that I just also recognize can be used in a lot of different ways. Um, and at the end of the day, what I actually want is um, I want material solidarity, right? Like I want, um, I want how people feel about one another is not as significant to me. I, I long for the redemption of people who I have no good feelings about. Like I would love, <laughs> I long for the redemption of Donald Trump and I cannot stand that man. Like I, like I have prayed some really terrible prayers about Donald Trump entrusting them to God's love and care. Um, and, and I still want, I don't need to empathize with that man to want him to like, to not live like this awful life he lives of harming other people. Right. I don't need so so the idea that somehow we have to feel a certain way about people in order for us to act in solidarity is not entirely clear to me. That that link is not natural to me in my in my own experience. That that somehow is very freeing because it says even if I don't get you, if we're looking for some material outcome, I can still work alongside with you. Yeah, or you can say. Ice, ice agents are enemies. Like they are. I have right. no good feelings about ice agents. Like even when I recognize that these are often people from poor socioeconomic classes who are like have no jobs in these border towns, I'm still not happy that you chose to do that work. Like, right. <laughs> like um, and I can long for you to be set free from the work of the damage of kidnapping people for a living. Like mm -hmm. I can want that for you. Um, right. and I can still retain that my feelings of anger alongside of that, those can coexist for me. And I think they can for all of us. Well, and that is, isn't that just the call of Jesus to love your enemies? I mean, that's yeah, it's yeah. Nowhere does Jesus say like, you have to feel good about these people. <laughs> like yeah. you have to really <laughs> understand where they're coming from. He's just like, no, just like, don't hit them back. Like, like that's all I'm asking. Very low bar. Like don't hit these people back when they hit you. I'm like, okay, I can do that. I like that. Very low bar. Very low bar actually. All things considered. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're running up against your time. Uh, and one of the things we always do with our interviews is we uh, ask five questions. Ooh. And I'm, I'm going to let Cody be the, he's the master of the five. So um, this is kind of, we, like we do a Marvel movie. It's, it's always the hot seat. Um, we discover wonderful things about individuals this way, things that you may not really have planned on revealing. Yes. So, here we go. Are you ready? I'm nervous. I'm anxious. I do. Okay. This feels like a do Marvel it. movie, Craig, uh, Melissa and the master of the five. <laughs> yeah, it totally is. Here we go. <clears throat> All right, Melissa, first question. What are you drinking? 
So <laughs> it could be right now. It could be your go-to drink like, oh, I need to have this today, you know, or your uh, order at, I don't know what your coffee shop is, but your order at your coffee shop. What are you drinking? Or pub or bar. Or pub. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in a, in a um, recognition of my own um, capacity for um, using alcohol in stressful times, at the pandemic, we traded out alcohol for um, uh, fizzy water, as we like to call it. Ah, our yep. um, and now I am like a um, seltzer connoisseur. Uh, oh. like, yes. Yeah. If anyone would like to sponsor me for <laughs> as like your um, influencer, your seltzer influencer <laughs> who's hearing this conversation, please contact my agent. Which oh. I feel like, do, so I don't have pandemic. Were you a beer drinker by any chance? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So fizzy water and hops. So I I drink something called hop tea. I'm writing it down. Company out of Boulder, Colorado called hop lark. That's right. And uh, it's fizzy water uh, infused with different hop flavors. I love where this is going. It is an amazing beverage. Love it. And the the, the last, the last month special brew, they have a constant uh, line, but there was a special one was a juniper berry. Whoa. That sounds Uh, amazing. They they also had one with spruce tips. Wow. Really good stuff. Anyway, Craig, is this a subscription and you get a monthly? uh, Yep. Okay. And they should be a sponsor because I I keep on advertising. I was going to say, this is the second time I heard you mention them. Uh, Melissa, what fizzy water do you kind of like? Uh, Like LaCroix, uh, Waterloo? Yeah, I mean, I love I love LaCroix. I definitely like get the like Food Lion brand because like, you know, Mennonites (laughs) kind of like not want to spend a lot of money. But pomegranate (laughs) is my Ah, um, is my is my flavor. Love like that. It. Very good. Don't Very good. actually like pomegranates in real life, but love it in the drink. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. Okay. All oh, right. Oh. What are you reading? So it could be a book that you're reading. It could be a magazine article. You think everyone should check out a blog. You think people should uh, subscribe to what are you reading? Yeah. Um, Well, I am preaching a series right now about gifts in the Bible, Um, all like 12 stories about when gifts are given um, and like how that shapes our understanding of possession and community and creation. And it was inspired by this book, The Gift by Lewis Hyde. Highly recommend this book. Um, I love it. It's like a book that's been very formative for poets and for a couple decades, especially. So love this book. Very cool. The Gift by Lewis. Uh, What's uh, the last name? Okay. All right. Uh, And (laughs) this made me think it must be if you're preaching a series about gifts, community, creation is it because it's a uh, stewardship drive season in uh, right now is that <laughs> no we don't actually have like that season oh, okay. stewardship season all the time that's around that's, that's your methodist yeah. showing through there <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah true. that's great that's true yeah good point all right what are you watching so it could be what you're binging on you know netflix or hulu what youtube channel people should be checking out what are you watching 
documentary? I am watching Midnight Mass on Netflix. Yes, I've heard about this one. Uh Uh-huh. I um, have a slight obsession with the way that churches are portrayed on um, on TV shows and like... um, in critiquing like just the like very weird things that they're like <laughs> like they're like you'll see someone like wearing their collar backwards or <laughs> it's like a catholic church and the person's not wearing a chasuble and you're just like oh my gosh this is so frustrating yeah. <laughs> or midnight mass actually has one bad one which is they have like a church sponsored picnic on ash wednesday oh no no no, no that would no. not happen these people are catholic <laughs> come on um so that but apart from that it is actually a very like they actually had like a pretty good religion consultant on this one. So, um, yeah. So enjoying that because I just like it. I like to have church well done and there you go. I yeah. like it. Midnight mass. Yeah. This right. is I've seen that one person. go by. Haven't. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. I've seen uh, two other people this or one other person this week, uh, mentioned okay. they yeah. were watching. Okay. Yeah. All right. What are you listening to? So uh, new music you are checking out, old music you always like to have on repeat, a podcast that you think people mm-hmm. should check out. What are you listening to? I've been waiting for uh, Lil Nas's Montero to drop for a couple of weeks. So I've been listening to that. Um, I think it's pretty good. And um yeah, just uh, yeah, that's that's been a long one that we've been waiting for. So okay, join the new little Nas. What's uh, some of your favorite songs off of there? Um, I I still like um, uh, "Call Me by Your Name," um, but there is I'm actually looking it up because I'm so bad with like what the <laughs> what the actual names of these songs are. Um. He's got a couple like really good um, guest appearances in these oh, songs nice. as well. Um, I'm sorry, I don't want to waste too much of your time. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, but, <laughs> we'll look up. We'll look. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're good. All right. So we've done. Let's see. We've done four, right? Right. Yep. This is the big one. This is this is our favorite one. Craig is a nice favorite this, one. This this one this one this one can cost you some. Oh gosh! <laughs> All right, Craig and I show up at your doorstep. Where are you taking us for dinner or preparing oh, for dinner? For dinner. Mm-hmm. Where are we going to go for dinner? Um. There, um, I, this is like definitely pandemic, um, time. So like, this is what I, I think about this with like, when I meet we'll, people, for we'll coffee, have masks like, on, we'll have masks on when we're basically like, where can we eat outside? Yeah, right. It feels That's like right. a yeah. question. Right. Yeah. Um, yep. so there's a place called whiskey kitchen, um, which has really good Southern food, but it also has like a big open patio. Nice. Um, and so that is where I've been meeting people for meals because, it's outside food's really Easy. good um yeah so and they nice. have like a really nice um i like pickled vegetables a lot Ooh, and they always have like a good pickled selection there oh, um, i love it so is that a north carolina cuisine style a lot of pickled vegetables 
Yeah, I think so. We do like to we do like to pickle a thing or two down here. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if there's a bunch of whiskey, it's easy to get pickled. Might so. as well. Might as well pickle it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, being from North Carolina, do you know? So, my favorite, my wife and I's favorite band is the Avett Brothers. Do you know the Avett Brothers? Oh, yes. Uh, I, I know the Avett Brothers. I've never met them. You know, oh, that, but, you know yeah, Ben, ben Folds is from North safe. Carolina, too. And yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing piano player. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, Avett's yep. just strum a guitar and play a tinkle. You know. No, they play piano and banjo know, and like, <laughs> they do it all. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Anyway, they even have an upright bass, a cellist. Come on now. Yeah, but Ben Folds can play all those. Oh, what? Hey, there's parts of the Avett brothers that can play all those too. Oh, parts <laughs> of them. Parts. Well, of no, them. like members have to like hop around and fill in. You know what? I, I like the Avid Brothers too, but I just like Ben Holtz also. So anyway. uh, No, you can't. It's one <laughs> okay, you're other. my enemy and you're making me angry. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> All right. Now, those were our five. There you All right. go. Yay. Melissa, it was do? great to spend some time okay? with you. You survived. You survived. Yeah. <laughs> you mastered the five. I'm no longer the master of the five. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, the new master. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for spending some time with us, uh, Melissa. Yeah, Glad Cody you. was able to join us after he delivered a saxophone. And uh, yeah. And stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you both. It was good to get to know you a little better. And um, yeah, thanks for asking me on. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Let's see. All right. Are you done recording? Are you good? Let's see. Uh, I'm trying to unclick it here. Where'd it go? There it is. Pause. Thanks for joining Cody Stoffer and me, Craig Morton, for this podcast. We simply try to record and upload without much editing. What you get is live conversation with all its ignorance and insight, wisdom and foolishness, sometimes more of one than the other, and occasionally profound things will be said, but entirely by accident. Make sure to follow us on Facebook at the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment. And look for upcoming Facebook Live podcasts where you can interact with our guests. Also, we can be found on Twitter as at All That's Holy. Our intro and outro music is by At The Speed of Darkness. Support At The Speed of Darkness on Bandcamp and buy his music there as well as follow him on Instagram at at the speed of darkness.